When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. From roommates to co-hosts, this is The Back Check with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Back Check. Brendan and Stefan here, as always. we got a lot to talk about with the Rangers kicking off round two in Carolina against the Hurricanes tonight. The Islanders made some news as well with a coaching hire uh, of Lambert and over there, and, and we're going to kick things off with that. But before we dive into it, how's everything going, buddy? It's been a minute since we sat side by side and, and had a little episode of the Back Check here. Yeah, so I'm going to say you're a jinx. Allergies? Phenomenal, phenomenal spring. And it's been actually a top-notch spring for me, allergy-wise. You text me, let's do a show. It's been a while. Boom, allergies are back. So I think I'm just allergic to okay. You might be allergic to the show. You might be allergic to me. I mean, I feel like it could be me. I'm allergic to everything. So maybe I radiate some kind of, of allergy type thing from my body. But, you know, listen, it has been a minute since we sat across from each other and did the show. And it's a good time to be doing it because both teams do have something going on the Rangers obviously in the second round of the postseason whether you think that's justified or not is a question for another day and the Islanders making some waves hiring a new head coach so obviously you're covering the team you're around that team more than I am and what's your take on the hiring there yeah so I think we have to start with what Lamarillo said when he fired trots he's sorry excuse me relieved of duties it's the term we're going to use we'll run with that because that's what the term they used is that the new voice now, Lane Lambert, who's been with Barry Trotz since, I think, 2011 with Nashville, bounced with Nashville, Washington, he's Trotz 2.0. He'll put a little spit on his on the system, but it's going to be pretty much the same. 
So then we asked, Lamarillo was asked, what did you mean by new voice? Because this is a familiar voice. I wouldn't call it a new voice. It's a familiar voice. And he says, maybe it wasn't the right phrase that I should have used. But it is a new voice in the position that Lane is in now. And I would say a big new voice in that because we're talking about two different personalities with reference to Barry and Lane. So, yeah, I think everyone got hung up on that. I think, you know, when you fire a coach or leave a coach to their duty, you need a new voice. You know, I think it was best. Things were said. Never should take that to heart with what Lamarillo says because he's good at his job because he gets throwing off people. I maybe want to throw off certain teams with who he was hiring, but this team is built. And I think it makes a lot of sense to bring in someone who knows Trotz's system well and then could, like I said, make a few Lamarillo more improvement from the young guys. Can Lane do that? He'll have to do that. He talked about Barzal and how important Barzal is to this team and finding pieces around him. So that's a good sign. And then Barry yesterday was interviewing in Winnipeg. So to come full circle with all of this, Barry had one year left on his deal. I think, well, I don't think Barry asked to leave after this year. I think what happened was, is he told uh, Lou after this year, I'm done. And no GM wants a lame duck coach. I'm not saying that Trotz wasn't going to give it his all in his last year, but you know, when you have a coach that's going to retire, maybe all that grit and determination needed to help a team is not there. Maybe mentally checking out, who knows? But at the same time, he knew he had Lane. He knew that if he didn't hire Lane now, Lane was leaving. Maybe Detroit. He was roommates with Iserman when they were on Detroit. They started their career together. They're a tight, a tight uh, pair there. So I think Lou said, listen, Barry's already on his way out. Let him go. He'll go home to Manitoba, where he's from, which is where the Winnipeg Jets play. And we'll bring in Lane. And Lane said that he texted with Barry after Barry was fired. And Barry said, I hope I hope you get the job. And when he found out that Lane got the job, he was thrilled. So there's a lot. This wasn't just Lou firing Trotz and then just hiring Lane. There was, I think Barry had a lot to do with this. I, I would agree because it did seem like it came out of nowhere. And uh, you mentioned Lou Lamarillo. How he keeps everything close to the vest, but you feel like that's not something he would keep close to the vest if, in regards to his own players on the team. Like that's something that they should have been privy to. So you do have to think that there's other things that were behind the scenes there between him and Trotz and conversations that were had where this was the decision that was probably best for both sides. The one thing from an outside perspective that I look at is whenever you have an assistant coach take over. They do have to be a new voice, despite having been a part of the previous coaching staff. Uh, the weird thing is Barry Trotz was actually relieved in Washington, and then they hired Todd Reardon, who was his assistant coach, and that didn't go well. So it's an odd like track record in the Metro division with Trotz and then hiring his assistant. But the, you talked about Lambert extensively with me off the air about how he's somebody that was going to get a job regardless. So he's well-regarded yeah. across the league, and you do think that this might be the time. You just hope that he's able to keep the good things that Trotz did and improve on the offensive side of the puck and able to, in that case, bring some free agents in too. Yeah. I mean, you got to hope with that. I know the Islanders were, they're going to go big game hunting. Now I don't have a lot of information about it. Forsberg that's on the top of their radar, which he should be for every single team. I know. I don't know if Fiala is the name they're looking at, but Fiala is not in no cap room. And I think he'd be a great fit alongside Barzal. The biggest thing is, is that you look at it, bring in every superstar you want. That has no bearing if he's able to play with Barzal. Barzal is such a tricky player to play with where he has a puck on his stick majority of the time. You have to find open space. Now, if you're an elite offensive player, do you not want to have the puck on your stick? Do you want to be in open space? A guy like Johnny Goudreau is more Barzal-esque than 
an elite sniper. He's not going to want to sit and wait. Wasserman. That's why Wasserman's had a, such a hard time. Wasserman wants to puck in a stick and he wants to shoot and be creative. He had to find open space, which he didn't do enough. So I think it becomes very hard, especially with the salary cap era and the window for the Islanders right now, which is probably two to three years, maybe that you just got to find the right fit. It doesn't have to be a superstar. Like if, if Zach Parise worked out with Barzell, why can't, again, I'm not settle for a bottom six forward or an older guy in their career. I'm just saying that no one would have thought that Zach Parise and Barzell would be a dynamic duo. They were. So I think that if you could find a player, top six forward, doesn't have to be an elite guy. It could be someone that no one's thinking about. If you're ever, for whatever reason, think that he'll light it up with Barzal, do it. Probably cheaper. Because, again, what's fours we're going to ask for? Like $10 million a year? Yeah, they're all going to be up there. Uh, exactly. You would think. It, it's, well, that's why think Nashville Fiala, loves the team. Fiala's not going to be up there. Fiala's coming off a great year, though. These guys have yeah, to try to did, capitalize. He, but that's what you got to do, though. He did nothing in the playoffs, which hurt him a little bit. Fiala, I, don't th- I think he had, what, one point or no points? Like, he wasn't good. So, I know that. Bill Guerin said that he wants to try to keep Fiala if he can. It's just not. Unless they move certain pieces, it's just not doable. So I think Lamarillo's got to be smart. He put the players on notice when he fired Trotz, but I think he's on notice too. I mean, I'm not saying that Lamarillo's job's in jeopardy. The ownership group loves him. He really knows what he's doing. Everyone doubting. So I think, you know, a couple years ago when he missed out on Panarin, he went for it. I mean, he didn't really do anything wrong, but it's money to some So I think that this offseason, Lamar is going to have to try to do that again with someone if they have the cap room, if they make it, if they trade a guy like Josh B. Arlamov, who knows. That he's got to try to go big game hunting again. I don't, again, you look at the situation for the Islanders the season they came off. They could easily rebound. You just got to, you got to get a top four defenseman. You got to make moves on forwards and, and clear some cap space. And if they don't do that, they're going to bring back the majority of the core, which is fine. You, you need a little bit of changes because like, I don't think this team in an 82 game season right now much better than they did this year. No, it's it's going to be a struggle, and I think that's why they have to bring people in. I think the first move they should make is Varlamov. He's, it's time for him to depart. Not necessarily a knock on him or anything like that, but it's time to hand Sorokin the full reins to the net, and you could also clear some cap by getting Varlamov moved. You have Josh Bailey, who's somebody that could you possibly find a trade partner to take that cap and free up some more space. And You mentioned Philip Forsberg, Johnny Gaudreau. There are names out there that would drastically increase the offensive output of the Islanders and help somebody like Barzal have some help and forget the help aspect, but give him a reason to want to stay long-term on the Island and, and not follow in the footsteps of Tavares who wound up leaving because the help just never came. So you want to make sure that not only are you improving the roster, but you're improving the roster in a way that would keep the people who you want to build around there. And I think that hiring Lambert probably did do that in a way because they now have a coach, a voice for the foreseeable future, somebody that with his track record definitely gets along with the kids. And that might've been one of the few knocks on trots over the last year and a half, two years. So the, the Lambert hiring does make sense. If Mike Sullivan gets canned, which I don't think he will, that's the only person I think that they would have been a better fit uh, for this team. Yeah. So I did some research cause you know, a little, little research over here. And I looked at Lambert's while I was coaching in Nashville, Milwaukee Admirals, the AHL. And in his last year before he came up to on the NHL level, he had a defenseman that he worked with. Uh, his name was Roman Yossi. Pretty Roman good guy. Yossi's first, first only year until came with Lambert at the helm. We know how he turned out. I'm not saying Lambert deserves all the credit for it, but, you know, something to just keep an eye on with. Again, you have a guy like Noah Dobson who already took strides. You know, they're young guys that 
Lambert can help with. Because, again, we haven't seen at the NHL level because Trotz has always been at the helm. Like, I know Forsberg and Trotz didn't get along. Forsberg got the Wallstrom treatment. Or Wallstrom got the Forsberg treatment. So I, I think I think it's a good signing. I, I think it'll work. But it can't be the same exact system. Lambert's got to put his own spin on it. Yeah, absolutely. So you go from one team that's hired a new coach to another team that did hire a new coach and now is in the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs in the Rangers. So Gallant, I thought, got outcoached in the first round by Mike Sullivan. I thought the Rangers got outplayed in the first round by the Penguins, but they found enough to get through. And you can talk about the officiating all you want. Uh, the officiating was awful for both sides. I can point to numerous occasions where the Rangers got screwed versus the Penguins and then vice versa. And we're talking about, we're going to talk about goaltender interference at the end of the show, but the Rangers have a pretty good gripe on the first game that they wound up losing in triple OT, what should have been over in three periods. So all in all, it was a wild series. It literally had everything besides defense and goaltending for the most part, but just Sterkin came through later on and now they're facing Carolina. And the one thing that scares me is if the Rangers continue to be as porous in their own end as they were against the Pittsburgh Penguins, Carolina's going to – they're done. Like, they're going to they, eat. Pittsburgh, exactly. Pittsburgh scored a lot, right? Pittsburgh had a lot of goals, but Carolina is just that much more dangerous. And I think that if they get up to nothing, you're not coming back on them, whereas Pittsburgh relinquished several goal leads uh, in multiple games. But the Rangers have to be better. And I think that they know that. I think the young kids now have a little more confidence that they got out of the first round. They kind of escaped. And if Shesterkin can play the way he played in game seven, game six, then this Rangers team becomes somebody that could actually take Carolina to the brink. Uh, I Do I think they win? I already put my selection as no. I think Carolina takes this series. And that's not a knock on the Rangers. Carolina's a very good team. But do they have a chance? The only way they have a chance is if their power play stays hot, their defense tightens up, and Shesterkin is regular season Shesterkin all series. Yeah, and let's talk about the Penguin Rangers series because as a goalie, I want to talk about Sullivan's decision. I think it was a jarring move. And uh, see the pun? Pun there? Anyway. I like it. Um, I like it. <laughs> don't get me wrong. The goal Louis Deming allowed in game six can't go in. I just can't. He, yeah, I know you want to say a player maybe escape. That's got to be stopped. That can't go in the back of that. I thought the defenseman probably should have stopped it from going over the okay, gift a little bit, but I would have gone back to Deming for one reason. First off, he's mentally in series. Jari hasn't played in what two months, and now you're throwing April first, a month, a month plus, so you're putting him into a game seven, must win game seven. He hasn't faced any of these guys in this series. He does. He knows who's hot and who's not. And then you look at how many of the goals. His glove side. Jari's glove side has never shown up once in the postseason because it didn't show up. Winner's face obliterated his glove side. Quite frankly, I didn't know his glove side even existed until he made the glove save. Uh, in the, um, I don't know who shot it, but he made like a sprawling glove save early in that game. But I, I don't know. I just I didn't like the decision. I thought that you got to keep Deming in there at least. Deming's battle. I'm not saying Deming. Deserved it. Like I said, he made the mistake. But again, throwing a guy in there that hasn't seen anything, you know, it's just, I don't think it was the right move. And I think for, for a little bit here. But again, at the end of the day, I mean, the Penguins couldn't come through. They had Crosby back in. You knew Crosby wasn't healthy. Ajari, after the game, had had um, ice on his ankle. You knew he was, yep. again, it didn't seem like Jari was 100% healthy. So 
it was just it was a crazy move. If it paid off for the Penguins, you're not talking about it. I just think I just think it wasn't the right move to do that. You said that the like, you know, the Rangers, you know, beat the Penguins. They got away with making mistakes, but the Penguins pretty much made the Rangers capitalize on every mistake. And if not, just Sturkin made some ridiculous saves. So yeah, if the Rangers play that loosely in their defense, those turnovers, the Hurricanes are going to destroy them like they did in the bubble. I would completely agree with that. And I think that if the Rangers don't make adjustments, then there's definitely something wrong with the coaching staff and, and what the team sees, because it's it's pretty obvious what needs to be changed from the first round to have success in the second round. And it, it won't take a, a rocket scientist to tell you, you can't let backdoor tappings go in every two seconds, because it doesn't matter who's in goal. They're not stopping that. And I, I think that when you have consistent lapses in the front of your own net, consistent lapses at your own blue line where it's just easy for the team to get over and give a great opportunity for their offense. It's something that you have to correct. And I I can't tell you how many times it was Crosby, Russ, Gensel that would walk in over the blue line, do a little like flip saucer pass right past the Rangers D and somebody would come in off the wing, take that puck and they're clear in on Shesterkin. That can't happen in the playoffs. You have to be aware of where everybody is. You need the forwards to come back as tight as the Rangers D want to play to that blue line. You can't step up on that guy when you got somebody streaking in behind you. That's the forward's job to come back and get that guy. And if they don't, you got to talk to them about why they're not doing it. So I think you have to create that wall at the blue line, kind of make it in such a way where Carolina can't carry the puck over. They have to chip it deep. They have to grind. And if they grind and get a goal, you live with that. But if they skate it in and go right past your D, that's something you can't have happen. And Shesterkin, most of the time, will stop those shots from the point. Will stop those shots from you know the end walls, the chaos in front. He's very good at it. But it's those backdoor tap-ins, those breakaway opportunities that happen four or five times, it seems, every single game that eventually he's going to get beat on. So if you tighten that up, you have a series. If you don't, it's, you're not really going to be competitive in this one. Yeah, but you know it might get harder for the Rangers because they go from a Goalie Deming to a second string goalie in Ranta. Well, I, yeah. I don't really think the goalie is going to make much of a difference. I, like yeah, I Ranta played well. Goals. He did, he did, and and he's a great goalie. We remember him when his time was with the Rangers. But yeah, I, I look at the goals that the Rangers scored throughout that series, and the only one that I really pinpoint as being solely on a goaltender was probably the Kreider one that won Game Six. Other than that, there's a couple that number one goalie might stop, but. The Rangers know how to score. They know how to score all year, and they don't need shots to score. They take they take their time, and it pisses everybody off that's watching, but they'll 24, 25 shots. They'll score three or four goals because they have these grade-A chances. So it, do, do you want Jari to stop a couple of glove sides? Sure, but you got Kreider who scored 52 goals, ripping one bar down. You have Zibanejad from in tight going under the bar. Like Those are those are tough to, to stop if they're those guys are scoring, and they're all hot. So I feel like that confidence kind of breeds it too. But does veteran, it hurt? Veteran leadership is huge for the Rangers yeah. in this series because they got it la- the last game. Zibanejad, Kreider, Panarin. I mean, you can't rely on your young guys to do it because this is new for them. And against the Hurricanes, this is a veteran team, a veteran playoff a couple of years. Well, you need those guys to not just show up in a game seven. They have to show up starting game one. Yes. Yeah. And if they do, and the kids line continues to play the way the kids line played. Oh, even better. That's... I mean, that, that's why that everyone had these expectations of making the playoffs, not necessarily going far this year, but making it. And then once the season kicked in, they're like, you know, what if, what could be if Kako comes back healthy, Lafreniere starts to produce, and you're seeing the makings of it. And the fact that they're playing better, I would say, the first seven games in the postseason than they did the majority of the regular season 
bodes well long term because they're not shying away from the moment. And I, I think that really the effort comes down to can the Rangers just play better defensively? Can Truba not have some of those lapses? Can Miller not turn the puck over? Um, can Fox and Lindgren protect the front of the net as undersized defensive pair? You know, can your third pair of Schneider, who's the youngest defenseman in the entire postseason, and Braun hold its own? Uh, you don't want to see Nemeth at all. And, and I'm not throwing any of these guys under the buff. I, I think that Miller's had a great postseason. I think yeah. that Truba's had some big moments as well. He's had more bad than good so far in that first round. But a lot of the Rangers' defense had more bad than good. The only one that was really at the top of the list was Fox and, and lingering for, you know, grinding that out. But that that's really where it comes down to. If you can protect the back doors and the easy goals and make it harder for a team to score with Shesterkin in goal, you got to like your chances. I think the real question is, is Lingren going to survive these playoffs? I mean, that guy, like, a psychopath. <laughs> after the playoffs over, they're going to list. It's going to be like a APA style 20 page essay of what Lingren has to have done on his body in order to be ready for training camp. Because again, we're seeing it already. Like uh, Tyler Sagan had a fractured ankle game one. We saw like Matt Dummer pretty much had like collapsed lung and broken ribs, which I don't advise to play through that. I think that's a little bit of a, you know, that that's a no, no with like a collapsed yep. lung or whatever it was. A po- I don't know what the exact terminology is. I'm not a doc, but um, yeah, when the season ends and you're going to hear about everything that happens to Lindgren, I mean, this guy's a mess. It's going to be like operation. <laughs> He, he definitely has a lot wrong with him. And I feel like every time he's out there, somebody clips him in the leg and he, you, you can see him go down. He's like, oh, I got to get back up. But to his credit, he's coming back every single game and he's not playing like hurt. He's playing valuable minutes and doing a lot of the little things that he always does. So you got to give him credit there. But it's it's definitely it's good to see that they won a series. It's good to see that they have found they found ways to win. I mean, as much as you want to take away from them, they did come back from two nothing down in both game five and six. They were down in game seven and one. They're the first team in NHL history to ever win three straight elimination games after trailing. So that that says something about the resiliency of this team. And as much as people want to peg Carolina to win, that resiliency does bode well for them. I, I mean, even if Carolina goes up in the series, they're not going to quit. So that's tough on Carolina and we always say the hardest game to win is the fourth right and and putting that team away finally because now that they know their season's on the line they're going to give you their all and if the Rangers already have that going for them you just got to hope that you don't get down 3-1 again or or get down 2-0 in every single game because I don't think you're going to have that ability to come back against Carolina you know the expression if you can't beat them join them yep I'm so excited to see what happens with Tony D'Angelo this series (laughs) I mean I I see it absolutely by uh go in the bubble and then obviously everything happened with the rangers right and then he joins carolina i don't know if him and i have jokes about that or whatever but now he's on carolina we know how much fans i'm pretty sure ranger fans hate him right uh, hate? I, I would say that there is besides, a large, the, besides the italian ones the italian uh, ones you know. i would say there's a large consensus of ranger fans that have a high disliking for him well goodness he can't punch georgiev right so yeah he could hop on the bench he very well could. I don't know. I feel like with Marchand last series calling him a racist to his face. And, you know, I feel like there's still there's still people hate him. So it's going to be an interesting series when uh, Ranger fans are off checks. You just have to hope that he doesn't burn you guys. Yeah, I mean, we got Rangers North versus Rangers South in this series. They have like six former Rangers on that team. You have yes, the, Fast, D'Angelo, Ronta. Stepan Smith. Um, <laughs> we're missing one, too. 
but anyway, they, they have a ton of former Rangers. And then you have the Carolina Hurricanes banning anyone from buying tickets unless they live in the That's North, fun. South, or Virginia area. I I cannot tell you how funny it's going to be watching the game tonight when you see how many Rangers fans are there. Well, how many Ranger fans live in Carolina? I, I don't know the exact number, but I, there were people on Twitter that were literally posting their address saying, use this address to, to get your tickets. I, okay, I, <laughs> I I get why they do it. For the, They want their own fans to have a chance to pack that place. They don't want to be overrun, which, again, I get. If that's put your tickets out on X date, only those people could get on X date, and then after that date, then you could open it up to fans because – Obviously, you want you want that home ice advantage, and other teams have done it before too. Like the Rangers don't do it because, quite frankly, it's for anyone in Carolina has a chance to buy them. So I get it, but yeah, you're gonna see so many Ranger fans there. It's not even funny. Yeah, I, I hope it's a good series. Like that's all I'm gonna say. I hope it's not as much of a blowout as I think it could possibly be. And like I want the Rangers to be in it. I want them to learn from their mistakes in round one and start correcting them. I think the Carolina is a wagon. And that if the Rangers have any chance at winning the series, Sisterkin's going to have to be unreal. He's got a nine ten and a three thirty six or something like that right now, which is not Sisterkin numbers. I mean, it doesn't help that the Rangers were letting Pittsburgh just skate in games three and four, and it was seven two and seven four. Um, but if he's going to play the way he played during the regular season, then yes, the Rangers have a chance. If he doesn't and he plays just good hockey, not great Vesna level hockey, I think the Rangers will be playing golf relatively soon it's just the way the playoffs have all gone i want to say it's going to be a, a see though it could end in five games and still be a tight series a 2-1 game 2014 stanley game. cup final no that's what i'm saying so it could be tight and just you know the numbers might be you know i think i had five i forgot my bracket but um yeah it'll be interesting to see but can we go to before we end this show we got to talk yeah. about going Yes, we do. I, last night, Sorelli 100% interferes there right, with Bobrovsky. 100% hits his head. They review this. They count it as a goal. I don't know how much of an impact it makes actual score. But my God, Kerry Frazier, the Kerry Frazier, said it was goal interference. Well, his head was outside the crease. So therefore, it doesn't count. That's not the rule. The rule is if the goalie's established in the crease, any contact after that is goal interference. I don't know how this gets reviewed and not deemed. I understand what needs to be done anymore for the league. To, you have different goal interferences, and every every five minutes the rule changes. You go back to the Rangers, uh, and uh, who is it? Russ gets pushed. No, it was Kako. It was, uh, Kako, Kako got yeah. pushed in by Dumoulin. Yep. Yeah, clearly pushed in. Goalie is interfered with correct. And in, in my personal opinion, I have no problem when goalies are interfered with incidentally and you call it, you know, no goal and maybe you hand out penalties. But I just think you've got to make, make one rule. If a player is pushed into the goalie, no goal. And if you want to, if players push into the goalie and the goalie can't make the save, it should never be a goal. Give penalties or whatever you want. Like I'm looking at um, Mike Smith, round one against the Kings. Uh, Grunstrom gets tripped on his way towards goal. Goes sliding into Mike Smith. His stick, the shaft of his stick, hits the puck in. Mike Smith gets pushed out of the way the puck goes in. It's deemed a good goal because he was pushed, like, he was tripped on the play. There was a penalty, and his slide couldn't stop him. 
Well, Mike Smith had – it wasn't like the penalty was right in front of goal. It was to the side. He slides it to Mike Smith. That can't be a goal. I get it. He was tripped up. Call the penalty. Do something else. But Mike Smith has no chance on making the save. And, again, I just don't know how you count that as a goal. We just got to figure out a common ground of what is going to be a goal and what's not because what they're doing right now is, first off, it's confusing because they're not staying the same. You got you to gotta figure it out. I know there's different circumstances. They can never find one rule that's going to pay off every time. But a play like that where the goalie's head's outside the crease because when you're a goalie, you're leaning forward, that's straight goalie interference. Sorelli didn't try to get out of the way. Like Sorelli was, yes, he was outside the crease, but his contact was with the goalie. You can't have that. That can't go in. And if, if Bobrovsky's able to see and his head's not pushed to the right, he's making the save. So I don't know. It's egregious the way they're handling goalie interferences in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that was the first time that I heard the broadcast crew kind of in consensus that that was goalie interference. And I don't think the league understands their own definition of it because no. by rule that was. And uh, you could tell me all you want that Kucherov's walking in there with the screen in front. He's probably going to score, sure. But Sorelli's behind, cracks Bobrovsky in the head and makes him turn to the right. And by the time he's back centered and looking around for the screen, it's already in the net. So that... A goalie can't see if he's, you know, face planting into someone's buttocks uh, right in when front I, of him. When I'm, when if I'm a uh, higher level official and I'm training my younger officials on what goalie interference is, I'm using that as the the. Hey guys, this is your this is goalie interference right there. That's the first step. I would have used that that video. Yeah, it's clearly goalie. Kucherov was skating back on the ice, thinking they were going to go back on the power play. Like he he knew it was goalie interference, but uh, there's been that inconsistency since the rule was implemented, since they really put the challenge in there. Uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, but what's, mean, the the point Rangers... of, what's the point in review? I get on the rink. If they called it a goal immediately, like, all right, fine. We don't have replay. It is what it is. People are going to argue. You re- reviewed it. You saw all angles and you still deemed that that was not goal interference. Come yeah, and, on. And I don't think we're trying, that wouldn't change the outcome of that game. No, probably but not. It, you have to get it right. And Kako won, you know, when, when, uh, they had Henrik Lundqvist retirement night and the tying goal got called back oh, as they yes. pushed Talbot's pad in. We saw that happen in, I forget which game this postseason, but they called it a goal this time. So there is literally no consistency when it comes to the same rule. Like they, What they should do is they should sit down, all the officials, the people in Toronto, and say, this play right here, if this happens in a game, goal interference or not. Not only will they get it right and more consistent, where even if we don't agree with it, at least they're being consistent, but it speeds up that whole review process. If a pad gets pushed in, it's goalie interference every time. Good. You have a review for that, you know it's goalie interference. If that happens, what happened with Bobrovsky, that's goalie interference. If it happens again, we know that that's goalie interference. You stay consistent, people change their games to avoid it. And that's what they have to do. Also, you just mentioned speed. Very good point. We all slow this thing down so slowly to say, well, a player had the chance to get out of the way or like Kako is getting pushed in in a split second. Kako is being pushed. What is he mentally? He has to already think that, okay, I gotta, I gotta move out. He has no chance to move out of the way. No. Like, so when we slow it down and go, yeah, look, he slid, he had a chance to move. The game is such a fast game that how on earth does he have the, the thought process and chance he's being pushed in and trying to make a play. He has no chance to get out of the way. So I think like we got to stop slowing me. That's with every replay with illegal hits. We slow it down so much to say, well, he saw the numbers like that, but in real time, the guy turns real second. What is he supposed to do? Of course he's going to hit him. So it's just like, we already know this is a fast game. Stop slowing stuff down to try to make your points because the game's not in slow motion. The game's played in real time and in real time, those split second decisions aren't 
aren't feasible to do certain things that the NHL wants players to do. Correct. I, I completely agree. And I, I, the hits thing is something I was going to say. So you took that from me. But, you know, we, we all have these slow motion replays and then somebody takes a still shot of like the one frame that looks like it's egregious. And then they tweet it out. It's like the Crosby. Like, oh, this is why. The Crosby Trooper thing. Um, I'm going to call him out. I got to find his name, though, because he's just hold on. John Shannon. You know, who that is. Yeah. Pretty sure he works for Sportsnet. He took a picture of the Crosby hit from the other side and said, what an illegal like hit to the head or something like that. All right. You just took, again, this is a high level guy in hockey doing what the basic low level fans do on every hit, taking the screenshot that fit. I mean, everyone takes, uses information to fit their narrative in everything, politics, life, sports. But then you show the other side of it and you show the point of contact was them going for the puck. It hits the chest, and then the wing comes up. It's an awkward motion. I don't think Trooper should have gotten his wing up there, but it happens. But that wasn't the uh, His stick point. was poke-checking and went through his legs, and that's where it gets caught. The one in the first two seconds of the game against Gensel was 20 times worse than the hit on Crosby. Yeah. And oh, no one's I, talking about it. I agree, but again, we got to stop with these screenshots. With every hit, too. Well, he left the ice with his feet. Well, again, I'm not good at science, but with momentum, when you hit someone, when you bounce off, your feet usually come up. So, you know, that shot after where the feet are in the air, that's not when the contact was made. That usually happens seconds after, which is, yep. again, how science works, I believe. So, you know. You're right. And that's <laughs> something that we got to figure out because it, it does dictate a lot of these playoff games. And, uh, you know, the fact that the Rangers and Penguins both have so many, so many gripes with officiating, yet each team was in the bottom third of power plays in the whole entire postseason yeah, it's just what's going on. Like, why is one series have a team getting 42 power plays and the other one has a team getting 15 and they both go seven? Why did Nashville have more power play attempts than the Rangers did through six games and they only played four? I think the but, Flames had 20 something power plays in that series. And I think the Rangers, by that point of whenever that stat came out, had, I think six. But I can't understand the Penguin fans that are blaming the officiating. I mean, they had two five on threes in multiple games. That last play where Pedersen left the rink was something that happened to the Penguins a year ago that the rule was explained to them. So, okay, there's two ways to look at this. If he stays in the rink and makes a play on the puck, he's getting a penalty without his helmet on. If he leaves the rink, he's abandoning his team. So, yes, I get why he, you know, he thought to leave the rink. But at the same time, Good, I'd rather take the penalty. On. Or you could just, yeah, you know, take up the helmet and put it on. If it's right there, put it on. So the not understanding of the rule is what cost the Penguins there, not the officiating. So we, and again, well, I can't. That, the part that no one's talking about is that when Zibanejad scored, they had five people on the ice in position. When when Latang came on for Peterson, or Pedersen, yeah. however you say his Pedersen, last name. I think, I don't know. Right? The Penguins and the Rangers were in a puck battle. Rangers did not have possession of the puck yet. The Rangers then won that puck battle, passed it to the slot, and Latang, who had replaced him, was in position and didn't come out far enough to challenge him. It really did not dictate the, that play at all. He could have, one, he didn't know the rule. Two, they already had five guys on the ice when the Rangers scored. So I'm sorry, that's not an excuse. I just can't, both sides, Rangers, Penguins, everyone in sports, I can't, maybe I was just raised right, I don't know. I can't stand blaming officiating for wins and losses. And I, we can even go back to game one. Sure, the Rangers got screwed out of a goal late in that that game. they probably win that game. You let 65 shots in your netminder through regulation, 80, what, 87 through two overtimes. Like, 
the Raiders didn't put themselves in a great position to win that game. I'm not saying that's what it's about. It's sports. It's unpredictable. You don't, sometimes you win games. You don't deserve to win, but you can't blame the officiating because of that one miss. You, you got outplayed heavily. The fact that you were in that game until the final couple of minutes was insane. All on yep. Sturkin being unreal. So again, I get it. I understand it changes everything about the series, but even that like both Penguin and Ranger fans, you didn't make it take advantage of your power play opportunities. The game, you don't, don't, how about this? Play good enough where you don't have to rely on the officiate. How about that? Because in every sport, it's just, it's just crazy how, how much blame. Again, I can't even understand how Penguins are blaming officiating for that series with the stuff that Crosby, and again, maybe deserving so. We protect superstars in this league that Crosby gets away with, that players of that magnitude get away with all the time. Suck it up. Your team lost a game seven where they probably deserve to win. But again, you can't rely on a fish inning to win that game. You had so many chances to win that game, and you didn't. So suck it up, move on, go buy your golf clubs, and come back next year and stop blaming a fish inning. God yeah, damn it. Before, before we go, you Vince Mercogliano just tweeted out that Sammy Blaze. Yeah, I saw that. And that Glon said he wouldn't rule him out for these playoffs. That would be – you bump Reeves out of the lineup and have you know a fourth oh, line that you- could actually play defense. But you don't love Reeves and him in the locker room getting everyone fired up? He could still be in the locker room. He could still be. Just, Re- yeah. Reeves is a – I'm not one of those people that wants Reeves gone. I just think that if Blay comes back, Blay is a similar style to what Reeves brings, except he will also contribute in both ends of the ice. Reeves brings that forecheck, brings that physicality. But, I mean, you're playing a team in Carolina where who, who do they have that's going to fight Ryan Reeves? No one. I mean, the only one that I think of is Brendan Smith, but – Brennan Smith wouldn't touch Ryan Reeves in a fight. So you don't have to worry about that physicality aspect. And if they do something and you have to insert him the next game, you do that. But Blay, they signed him for a reason. He was playing top six minutes for him at first. So you put him back in there, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. So it's been a great episode, Brendan. I know you're getting gearing up for, for tonight's contest. It should be a fun one. That's all we're looking for. We just want to see fun, exciting hockey. And for the last weekend when all those game sevens, I mean, that was just, oh, that was hockey heaven. Yes, it so was. we're just ho- just hoping for good series here. Always. I mean, that's all you want, right? The last last games last night had a little bit of the battle of Florida. Wasn't as exciting as we thought it would be. The second game went to overtime. Blues just clinging to hopes. I mean, the avalanche looked unreal there, but they don't took you love care it of when business they just, Don't you love it when you just throw a puck on that and it goes in? I mean, it's a beautiful thing. I, I the St. Louis Blues had no shots in overtime. They got outshot thirteen to nothing in overtime. Which I, uh, I don't even feel bad for Binghamton, just because I I don't like his attitude about anything. He played great though. I know, but I don't like him. So he, like, he really know. did. He looked like the uh, playoff Binghamton when they won the cup, which is scary if you you think about that. But that was two great games. Battle of Alberta follows the Rangers and Hurricanes tonight. So th- this is what hockey fans wait for all year: these postseason moments, and we'll see who can come out on top, go to the conference finals, and. Uh, we'll we'll have you covered here you know we'll we'll jump back into it at the end of this round and talk about whether the rangers could have done something better or did everything great and are moving on to the conference final the back check is your one-stop shop for nhl news and all things rangers and islanders thanks for sticking with us for this edition of the back check follow the show on social media at back check pod 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone.